Hello, and welcome to Workle's Happiness Podcast. I'm Mark Price, the founder of Workle, a platform designed to help everybody get happier at work. I used to be the boss of Waitrose and the deputy chair of the John Lewis Partnership, and it's there that I began my interest in how we work and how being happier at work can not only transform an individual's life, but transform an organisation. On this podcast, I find out how happy people really are at work and discuss what steps they take to get happier. Hello, I'm delighted on this edition of the Work All Happiness podcast to be talking to Josh White. Now, Josh is a budding entrepreneur. He set up a number of businesses and he's here to talk to us about his journey. How did he ever think about becoming an entrepreneur what were the steps to being successful? What's he learned? What can we learn from him? So, Josh, welcome to the Work All Happiness podcast. And thank you for having me. It's no trouble, Josh. Now, before we get into all of the ventures that you've set up and are involved in, um, I just want to take you back to your early years. So, preschool, school. Is there anything in your background there? that led you to want to set up businesses? So I think I've always had a flair inside of me. I think uh, the, the family background has always inspired me on that course, but I can ask my, my, my parents and my grandparents for, for stories of when I was younger. And I, I do remember when I was probably five or six, I started up school club. Uh, which was hosted in my bedroom um, and it only had two customers it was my mum and my grandmother um, but for a pound a week they were able to come up to the bedroom and they were able to learn exactly what I had learned in school that day uh, in a crash course um, which lasted all of about 10 minutes but I was very happy to receive my two pounds a week from that um, so I think that was possibly one of my first uh, expeditions into trying to trying to find a way to make money and whether that was scamming my parents out of it. Um, it was certainly a start. I was probably nine or 10 and for Christmas, I, I've always been very into arts and crafts and I'd asked for a candle making set from my dad. And he bought me all of the waxes and all of the kit to make your own candles. And I busied myself through most of January making candles of all colors and scents and shapes. Uh, and I amassed this huge bag of candles and I walked up, I set up a shop um, in the lounge and then I forced my father to come back in uh, and choose which of the candles he would like to purchase uh, and sold them all back to him. Um, so, so from a, a fairly young age, I think I was always looking for, for an opportunity. Uh, and where did you get that from? Was it in your genes? Were your parents entrepreneurial? Did you have a relative or did you see them on the TV? I, I think my dad has always has always been quite entrepreneurial um, and has a mind for that. But as a as a as a young boy, I, I can't quite see how that would have filtered. Would I have been quite so aware of that? Um, I, I'm really not sure. It, it wouldn't have been until kind of later teenage years that I would have kind of picked up where that would have come from um so i don't know whether part of it was just ingrained some of it was subliminally kind of polished in uh, while i was growing up but i've always had a keen interest in it and i've always found like a great satisfaction um, not necessarily from making money but from making something that works and that people like the idea of and, and when we talk to entrepreneurs we quite often find that they were competitive at school in one way or another 
were you competitive do you play sports or were you academically driven so, so this is this, so i'm i think i'm actually very uncompetitive i really don't like the idea of being shown to be not very good at something um so sports i was a terrible sportsman i would play tennis and even though i was quite good at tennis as as a as a kid if i lost anything it would i would feel like i'd completely let myself down and i would be so angry that i wouldn't want to play tennis for a month and then i'd have to pick it back up again um academically was somewhere that i felt i was uh i had a better playing field and I worked quite hard and where I had friends that were maybe better at sports, better at video games, things like that. I was always a little bit better at maths tests and a little bit better in English and, and that kind of leveled things out slightly. Um, but I'm, I'm very non-confrontational when it comes to a, to a competition and I'm the first person to back out of one uh, because I actually don't, I don't necessarily like comparing myself to people. I, I think everyone's got their own uh unique attributes and i don't necessarily have to try and drive them out on the sports field or uh, on a piece of paper necessarily so what drives you what gives you your ambition to want to keep setting up businesses i think there's there's a real challenge to them and i think above other things i think it's the challenge and overcoming those challenges that i find most interesting uh with every single business i feel like i've learned something new and there's a uh, there's different elements, whether it's uh, creativity, whether it's organizational, whether it's administrative, uh, there's always a challenge that, that there is to overcome. And I think certainly with, with setting up small businesses, um, you, you kind of have to do so many different aspects of it. You don't get bogged down in, in one fine detail, which you might do if you say went to work for a medium sized enterprise and you have a job and that that is your job when you start your own business you're you're covering all of the bases you're learning new things and i i for example hate doing accounting and finance um i enjoy the challenge of having to learn the software and things but i, I really don't like doing it um but i get to i get to kind of work through all different areas and at least feel like i've got a good grounding in most of them and in terms of um uh, your schooling, uh, you've already given us two great examples of being entrepreneurial. Um, as you were going through your teenage years, did, did you do a job? Did you work? No, so I'm quite embarrassed to say, and a lot of people, a lot of my friends ridicule me for it, but I've, I've never had an interview um, in my life for a job, uh, which I think is, in a way, I feel I've missed out somewhat. Um, but I've always tried to do my own thing, and I've always... I've always seen it as a as something that plays better to my to my skill sets, um, and whether it was because I had limited time, or I was trying to organise it around something else, I've always found that by by doing a venture of some sort, I could plan my time better and I could earn better money from it, um, and uh, achieve my goals. So when, when when your friends were saying that they wanted to be doctors or football players or uh train drivers what, what were you saying what, what did you say you wanted to be when you were young i i never had a, a defined idea and and i have to be honest i don't think i've i've got a much more defined idea now i think when i was young i, I would always say i wanted to be successful that was the bottom line it doesn't matter how how i would do that um i wanted to be successful 
And I think as I've grown older, I think my idea of what successful means has changed. I think when I was uh, when I was younger, that just meant I had loads of money. And I realize now that actually being successful doesn't necessarily mean you make lots of money just because that's what a lot of people um, would measure it by. It's not necessarily it's not necessarily so. Uh, and it can be a bit idealistic. And it's not until you're, you're really older that you kind of realize the complications of, of what that means. Um, I think I think I just wanted to do something that I enjoyed and that was fruitful from what, what came of it. Um, and I, I've, got, I've got a couple of older siblings and I think there's probably some sibling rivalry. They're both successful in their own ways and in their own rights. Um, so I think because they were quite a bit older than me, um, five and 10 years older than me, um, I've always been looking to them and being like, right, that's my, that's my benchmark. I want to be them, but plus 25%, uh, which has always, always caused friction in the family, but as all siblings do. And, um, did your parents ever suggest what you might do? Did they say, oh, Josh, you, you, you'd be great at setting up your own business or did they say, Oh, Josh, you should go and be an accountant. No, I think I think they they definitely encouraged me, and they were definitely they they had to be the bread and butter of what I was doing. Um, I've I've always had a free reign to be able to do what I want, and never did I have an idea kind of quashed saying, "Oh, this is this is ridiculous. Don't do that. You should be focusing your time on on becoming an accountant or a lawyer or a doctor." Um, they've always been been very pro the idea and because my dad is is entrepreneurial in his own right he's always had excellent contacts if I had a question about something and I needed some advice from a, a patient lawyer for example he would have someone who I could talk to if I needed accounting advice he would have an accountant who I could talk to and I think that's always really helpful to have that support and obviously I'm very privileged to have had that network um, but I think in this day and age it's actually a lot easier than it perhaps was 15 years ago to be able to find that advice with the, with the internet and things like that um I think so would, would you say that your father's been your main mentor yes I think so I, I probably wouldn't want to admit it to his face because he would uh, he would gloat about it for a long time afterwards uh but he certainly is incredibly inspirational for, for what he does and I, I really don't think I would have had such free reign and and such uh, and an array of skill sets to be able to rely upon uh, when you're doing so many things for the first time that you really have no idea what you're doing. So, so let's just talk a little more about about your um, your academic path. So, uh, you've um, you've shown uh, in all kinds of ways that you're entrepreneurial. Um, uh, what what A levels did you do? What what were you keen on? So I was I I, I was definitely more on the artsy side. When it came to doing my A levels, even though from a from a GCSE perspective, I think I was fairly well well even across languages and science and math. Uh, in my A levels, I did uh, I did design and technology, which is kind of along the engineering route. I did history. Uh, I also did business studies, which I think was was a was a great tool and, and was certainly very helpful. I think. In some ways, people look down on business studies as being the kind of the second rate to economics, uh, which I think is unfair. I think economics can certainly be harder, um, but it's not. It's not. It, it's it's a very different thing. And for me, economics would have been no use to me. Um, business studies 
I quite often find myself trying to do something and I'm Googling away and suddenly something comes up and I'm, wow, I remember doing this. And actually of all my A-levels, business studies is, is one that it was actually very useful to me uh, going forward and understanding how to do critical path analysis and um, things like that. So clearly that was a pointer in terms of the direction you wanted to take with your business life. It, it definitely was, and it was quite satisfying to to be in that class of some other very bright uh, and like-minded individuals, but always feel that I had kind of an upper hand with a lot of things. I always had uh, a better answer for things and was always thinking slightly outside of the box. Um, and I think probably as a, as a 17, 18 year old, being able to look at that and see that you're you're with some other very smart people, but you're kind of edging ahead slightly when it comes to answering questions and trying to see the logic patterns behind things uh, from a business studies perspective it definitely was like a really good indicator that that this is something that I'm obviously have a knack for whether it's uh, just because I've I've been exposed to it a lot already or something else it was definitely something there and then and then talk to us a little about your time at university what did you study and uh, was there anything in those university years that again uh, put you on this entrepreneurial path Yes, so before, just before I started university, I took a gap year and rather than traveling, I did do a little bit of traveling, but for the majority of it, I was set up a business that was trading in hair curlers and hair straighteners. And it was something I didn't know anything about. Um, I happened to be pushed a contact uh, over a desk one day on a piece of paper that said, speak to this guy. He's got a really nice brand of products. Uh, and you probably have a skill set for selling online that he'd be really interested in. So I, I, I put on a suit and I went to meet this guy in Selfridges in London and had to act like I was someone who was much older, which doesn't help when you have a baby face and no one really believes your age, whatever age you are. Um, but somehow I convinced this, uh, this guy to give me the contract to be able to sell his, his brand online. Uh, and how, and I said old that, how old were you, 18? I was 18, um, so pretty, pretty fresh. Um, and that, and that, was a, that was a great contact to have. And I put a lot of footwork into that business over my gap year and it was, it was a lot of fun. I did it with a friend from school. Uh, and and we, we, we had like a good few months running with that. And then I went off to do history at Sheffield. Um, again, I followed, I followed a course that had an interest for me because I feel that if you don't have interest and passion in something then you're never going to succeed in it no matter what it is um, and whilst history wasn't necessarily my academic strength in my A-levels at school it was definitely my passion and interest and my mum always said you must follow your heart and it will always lead to success um, so I decided to do history at university and I thought well I've, I've come so far in this what why why should I stop doing my little hair color and hair straight in a business on Amazon and eBay so in my university halls I was known for the for the guy who would be walking down to the post office with three royal mail sacks over his shoulder every day because under my bed it used to lift up and I used to have all of my stock under there all of my postage materials and every day I was selling five or six items um, and I'd walk down to the post office uh, every day and send them off so I, I, I attempted to kind of keep up with it and, and where there was kind of something to be made uh, it, it paid for my university accommodation that year so it was, it was very chuffed with that 
and and then you came to the end of your degree. Um, you you're selling hair rollers and straighteners. Um, what did you decide to do? What what was next? So I I took some time off at the end of university, um, trying to figure out really what I wanted to do, and I still I was I was I had this business or at least ex experience in a business, but I couldn't quite nail on on it being something uh, that I was I was truly latched onto. So I decided that I wanted to expand a bit more on the concept only because I had the groundwork in place. So I decided, well, why don't I try and set up my own brand and kind of do the experience of branding a product, marketing a product in a way that I didn't have to do previously because that's all done by the, by the brand themselves. So I set up a, a business called Naked Hair. It did exactly the same thing. It was hair straighteners and hair curlers. Uh, but we played around with the brand and we had some really nice branding and it was my first experience of sitting down with designers and trying to work out how something should look. I was dealing with the manufacturers in China, um, which related into a business I'd set up when I was 16 when I was importing batteries from China. So I was able to use some of the skills that I had learned from importing batteries. I could, I could transcribe it over to uh, hair straighteners and hair curlers and how to speak and deal with uh, Chinese suppliers uh, and that that was I mean that wasn't successful I didn't make my money back on that but it was it was a great learning experience for uh, how to how to create a total solution of a product or a business um, starting from a, an idea manufacturing designing branding marketing and selling and if somebody's listening, thinking, gosh, I'd like to do that, what advice would you give them? The best advice I think I can always say is don't rush what you're doing. So many times I found myself with an idea and all I want to do is get that idea into a final product and pushing as hard as possible. And I end up making mistakes. I end up paying over the odds for things, for services and products. I think taking your time and making sure you do it properly because there's no point being stuck with a bunch of things uh, that were only half baked when you kind of came out with them. Uh, and I think I've had to do that two or three times to truly un to truly grasp that concept and realize actually it, does it doesn't matter if I miss my own self-imposed deadline by a month. That doesn't matter. What's important is making sure this product's right and that I don't get lumped uh, with something that I'm not happy with at the end of it and what's the hardest thing about setting up a venture like uh, like the one you set up after university i think the hardest thing is uh, certainly with, with the ventures i had at university it was always always my age was an issue um and this is something i find from other people who were kind of in their late teenage early 20s that sometimes being taken seriously by people can be quite difficult uh, they think you're kind of trying to get something for free or that you're kind of not a serious buyer or seller. Um, and I think that they, they certainly put up roadblocks for me, not only not only for me, but also for my confidence as well. Because There's nothing worse than having confidence knocked by uh, people who aren't taking you seriously, who might go around your back to someone else because they don't think you're the decision maker. Um, I think I think in later life, I think my biggest hurdle has always been 
when you're working, when you're doing it by yourself, if you haven't got a partner in the business, uh, you have a, there's a lot of weight on your shoulders uh, and that can be quite difficult to, to manage when you sometimes just want to turn around and say, you know what, could you do this job? Could you do this task instead? Uh, sometimes you don't have the luxury of that when you're, when you're incubating an idea on your own until you get to that point where you have more people in your business. Uh, that can be really challenging. And um, what happened next for you? So what happened next? I then started working with my brother. I kind of uh, digressed from the entrepreneurial route for, for a short time. And I was working with my brother on a business that he had set up. It was a, um, a domiciliary care company, uh, which was, again, completely different. And I think the... Uh, the moral of this is that I clearly had no real direction still at this point. And I think that's one thing I'd always say to people. And I say it to friends who I've got who are maybe finishing university, that there's always a pressure that you have to know exactly what you want to do in your life and exactly the, the route you want to take. And here was me at 25 and I still had no idea what route I wanted to take. And I'm clearly hopping from one concept to another but unless you try you're, you're never going to uh you're never going to know what it's like um so we, we were working uh for this care company which i was just from a managerial level but it was my first experience working in a business where there were other people where i had someone above me and i also had people below me um and that was again a skill building exercise that was dealing dealing with people, uh, how to explain to someone about how to improve what they're doing and also being told by someone else that, that here's a way of you doing a better job in the future. Um, so that was, that, was a real, that was a real learning curve for, for a couple of years. And how did that feel, Josh? It, it felt, I think when I was there, I think I probably felt like I'd taken a step backwards. Um, but I think looking back at it, I think it was definitely a sidestep and in general, it was a, it was a really good experience builder. Uh, I don't think to be an, I think you can be an entrepreneur and you don't necessarily have to have been an entrepreneur from day one. You can come to that much later, much later on. So you can have a very conventional job and that shouldn't put you off from thinking, wow, I've got a great idea. I'm gonna like run with that. Uh, so for me, this was a bit of a sandwich filler. Um, I'd done my entrepreneurial stuff. I then started working kind of within the management of another company um and and then it, it as it, it kind of led me on to becoming entrepreneurial again and and setting up my own thing so after after i was doing the care business i then with my brother we stumbled by sheer accident onto a property business again something completely different but something to try and we set up b london apartments and we ran that for a couple of years. And, and so, I, I mean, it's just amazing the breadth of experience you're getting from selling hair products to care homes to, to now uh, property. So, so tell us about um, B London Apartments and, and the property world. So I think this was, probably, this was probably the most opportunistic business I've ever set up. Um, and essentially one summer me and my brother sat down and we thought you know what we suddenly think we found a gap in the market and it was providing uh corporate 
and student accommodation for people who wanted to spend anywhere from three to six to nine to 12 months in London. And we thought that specifically in central London, there was a bit of a, there was a bit of a gap in the market where we could come in and create a really nice product for people. It was something that we had bits and pieces of knowledge of the area, but it was starting from the ground up really. Uh, we started working with, a, with another partner who was a friend of my brother's and he had a lot of property experience and it was, a, a, and again, another huge learning curve, things that I had no idea about. It became much more um, bogged down in legals and things like that, things that had to be considered where haircuts and hair strainers, I didn't really have to worry about what the legalities were of things, having to read loads and loads of statutes and laws to work out to make sure that what we were doing was right and that we could do that reading leases reading head leases so this was this was a, a very different experience and also selling a product that, that wasn't it kind of was a product but it was almost more of a service than a product uh, which again was something I hadn't really done before and, and what was the gap in the market for Beedlund and the Farms? The, the, the gap was having really high quality accommodation for these people. So, for example, if you're if you're a student, you may be coming from uh, from Southeast Asia, you may be coming from Russia or the Middle East. Uh, and if you've got the budget to spend on a really nice apartment, what you don't want to do is get bogged down with having to take a lease, having to take services, setting up your council tax, things like that. What we could do is create kind of an all-in-one solution for you where you come look around and say, you want to move in tomorrow? Absolutely, sure, no problem. You can move in tomorrow. You're going to have your gas, your electricity. Everything's going to be set up. You can have Sky. Everything's going to be like a, a turnkey solution. And the same for, for corporate people as well. It's not necessarily a novel idea. It was just something where we thought that the uh, geographical location there was a there was a shortage in and that we could probably offer a product that would would rival the best in the market for the price so most people listening to this now will be gasping saying gosh that's a lot to do but it, it's yeah, I, the end I, of the story I, i'm start i'm starting to feel like i need a break <laughs> from this um it, it all sounds it all sounds quite manic when i when i listen to myself talking about it um it's a fantastic journey so uh, and I know that um, you still have some involvement in uh, in B London Apartments, but so so tell us why you left that and what you did next. So I think B London was was a great experience, but it was it was a slight tainted chalice, and I think I probably spent longer being actively involved in it than I should have done, and I think I'd lost sight of what was my. Um, my original philosophy that, that I mentioned earlier, which was you have to do something you enjoy and that you're passionate about. And I think whilst setting up the business and overcoming the hurdle, setting up the operational uh, formalities of, of B London, I really enjoyed. But as soon as it became a bit more matured, it, for me, it stagnated and it stagnated me. And I don't think I realized that. And I stayed in it for longer than I perhaps should have done. And I started kind of thinking again, core blimey, what am I doing? Like, where's this going? I probably sat sometimes and thought back all the other businesses I'd set up and thought, wow, like it's all led me to this. I, I, I felt a bit like a, a, 
like I'd become an estate agent and that wasn't particularly what I wanted to be. So I decided that it was a time to step out and I didn't necessarily have a, an avenue to go down. So I started taking a bit more of a backseat role in B London. And I came across an opportunity with a family member who owned a stake in a small health and well-being centre in Bellsides Park. And it was a, a long established business and a shop front. And again, something I've never had any experience about, but this person came to me and said, look, I don't have the time to look after this. I need someone in there who's got some energy and who can kind of be new eyes over this business because at the moment it's losing money and it may close down. So I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna take this on because I don't know what else to do. And this is an interesting, this is a really interesting avenue because it's another skill set. So I took over this shop uh, and went through, and this was actually really fun for business studies A-level. I was able to basically go through it and with the business studies textbook in front of me, you could go through every single aspect of this business, a small business with a shop, and you could look at its customers, you could look at all of its analytics, and you could really kind of put to use some of the skills I had learned from that. Um, we decided to do a, a rebranding exercise where we went kind of quite funky and a bit out there with the name and the, and the branding. And we came up with something that was called On The Lane. Um, and it was a really fun exercise we shocked a lot of people because it went from being this very drab looking medical clinic essentially to being this quite funky something you might find in i'd like to think you might find it in either central london or in east london it it, it looks quite cool um and i've been I've, i'm still working on that uh, i think now is a very challenging time for for businesses like this uh we haven't been able to open for quite some time and it looks like it's going to be a bit longer yet but uh, it became something I was much more interested in and the whole health and well-being side really did inspire me because I felt there was a lot of people who were neglecting their health and well-being and this offered almost like a one-stop shop so whatever you needed if you had back pain knee pain head pain if you were uh, depressed if you whatever whatever the problem was there was almost certainly someone there who was was able to help and it was a it was it had a real nice community feeling as well uh, everyone was there to kind of help each other and and I think that was a, a really nice change for me and to this point so we're going to now go on to Cura Kit yeah. uh, uh, but before we do that just try and summarize over the course of those jobs and businesses what you've learned what you've learned about yourself and what you've learned about business what I've learned about myself is that I have to be doing something that I enjoy uh, and it has to be something that I'm interested in. And I think this is one of the reasons why I'd always struggle to have a regular conventional job, because if it developed aspects of it that I didn't enjoy, I would find my productivity would, would decrease enormously. Um, what else have I learned from this? Um, it's, there's, there's no shame in, even though I don't think I'd have said this at the time, but when I've had businesses that haven't done very well and have failed, I've always been quite embarrassed about them. And I think maybe looking back, they weren't as big a failures as I thought they were. And I think it's really important to, to, to realise that things will always go wrong and you'll always look back at things and go, I should have done that totally differently. 
um, I think you have to pull yourself up from that and and kind of not dwell on those. And I think seeing all of these different businesses that I would have that I've been involved in and set up, I've always been able to take something new from it. And even though at the time I could have been quite down about why is it not working, it should be working. I think there's always been a learning curve and as every new business, there's always been an opportunity to look back and go, actually, that was a, that was a great bit of experience. I don't think I'd have done it that way if I hadn't have had the experience in that previous venture. And, um, and what about business? What have you learned about business? There's a degree of luck. I think that's definitely, that's something that I don't think I ever wanted to believe when I was at school, but it was based on luck. But I think there is, there is a degree of, of luck and being in the right place at the right time. Um, and if you're not in the right place at the right time, it's always going to be an uphill struggle. Um, but I think about business, it's great fun and it's not always as intimidating as it, as it seems. Um, and I think people shouldn't be intimidated by it. Okay, so um, we've got the lane, your funky yeah. uh, operation, and um, you're just about to have the idea for Cura Kit. So how did that? Yeah. Happen? So I mean, Cura Kit was was born out of the coronavirus pandemic, and sitting at home on the lane was was a shut shop, and I was at home thinking, well, I don't know what to do now, so I'm. Um, just gonna kind of I, I quite like to wait for ideas to come to me I think if you stress out and you sit there going oh I've got to come up with an idea of something I don't think it's ever productive so I was thought you know I'm gonna have these this was the kind of April height of the April lockdown and really nothing was going on I thought you know I'm gonna take this time off just to, to kind of try and find a new path for me and decide what I want to do and there was a lot of talk about how to help people who are working from home and the, the issues that they were having uh, from a, a, a mental health perspective. And it occurred to me that through a, what of a, lot, a lot of what On The Lane does is offer people health and well-being at a point where they can come in and visit someone. And I thought there's so many people who are working from home, they're stuck at home, um, or there's people who are, they may be essential key workers who are still working, they may be in shops and working in hospitals, but everyone is feeling run down, everyone is feeling detached, they don't get to see their employers, their co-workers as much. And I thought there must be a way that you can integrate health and well-being in a way that will engage them and that will improve, improve what they're doing. So the idea of CureKit was was born out of this. And to, to begin with, we wanted to go down a, a bit of a compromise of the of the health and well-being route and the personal protective equipment route. So that's where the, the, the original concept of CureKit came from, was how can we deliver two things in one? You can make sure your people are being looked after, uh, but you can also make sure that from a mental and physical well-being perspective, that they're being that things are being looked after too. And um, so you set up the business in August of last year, 2020. <laughs> so so actually we were I was working on this from um, from really back in end of April, early May. 
trying to get ideas together and actually it, it took a long time and I think maybe maybe this was one of my lessons but I was I wanted to make sure it was right uh, but also I was being hampered continuously by the coronavirus pandemic um, it was really difficult to uh, from a from a design perspective for example I had a an excellent graphics designer he was he was brilliant and when I first started talking to him he had nothing to do because coronavirus had absolutely killed him so I had all the time in the world and I took that massively for granted until one day he said oh I've just had a full-time assignment and suddenly bang I had no graphics designer I could get him on the weekends and at 10 o'clock at night um, but that was definitely a roadblock to, to building up CuraKit so yeah so we were we were starting this from from April May and it took us a good four months to probably get the first iteration of the product uh, to a point where I could send it out to people. And um, uh, you work with both businesses and with individuals so how does that work? Exactly so I think originally the concept was to be a business to business provider um, because I, I felt they had the most immediate need so by creating these PP and well-being packs there was a, an opportunity by which to mass provide for their workforces um, and kind of go through all their corporate responsibilities that they have and social responsibilities um, but it, it dawned on me that a lot of people who I was showing the box to because the, the box is is very friendly the branding is very friendly it's it's supposed to be very engaging and I think that there was suddenly a realization that actually maybe just your normal consumer would be interested in buying this because it has really nice stuff in it. And as we start to move away from the PPE side and we go to a complete well-being box um, that's almost completely infinitely customizable, you get a really nice selection of products that are all really kind of thoughtfully tailored out. And I don't think people should miss out on this if because they don't work for a, a company who's who's bought a whole load of boxes for their employees and we we want employee we want people to receive the boxes and go this is great i'm going to show this to my aunt i'm going to show this to my cousin i'm going to show this to my friend and they may also really like to receive these boxes and so um for those listening how much does a boss box cost and what are you likely to get inside it so uh a cure kit is, is a, it's about 20 pounds but it depends on on what goes in it so we had the cure kit original um which was the kind of half pp and half well-being so for example that used to come with um like an aromatherapy oil it might come with some creams or some hand salves that are all kind of handmade and organic and now we're starting to move and we'll be updating our product range uh, in the coming month but you, you will be able to choose pretty much whatever you want. So we did a, we did a box for, for a company last week and it had some lovely chocolates in it. It had uh, an energizing room spray. It had a juice shot of uh, vitamin C and energy booster. Um, we have a little booklet that comes with some monthly meditations that I, um, uh, that we get from the specialists who work at On The Lane. So this is where On The Lane really like lends in. So we have an aromatherapist and she recommends us what aromatherapy blends work for 
for, for what we're going for, whether it's sleep or energizing and whether it's a spray or a roll on. Um, we have a, a yoga teacher and she gives us some yoga meditations that kind of ground you. We have a mindfulness coach. So if you're kind of feeling a bit overwhelmed, she's done us a, uh, a wonderful breathing exercise for kind of sitting in your chair. And if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed, it's a four minute breathing exercise. Um, so we really try to cover as many bases. And, and if you wanted uh, some herbal tea, we work really closely with a local Camden tea company that make incredible herbal teas. Um, so we're, we're, we're really trying to kind of hit all, all bases with the Cura Kit going forward. And where do you think Cura Kit will be in five years time? Where would you like it to be? I would, I would really like it to be a, a, a forerunner of what is a new way of engaging with employees. I think that as people over the next five years start to work from home more, I think the days of kind of the nine to five office job for a lot of people will change and change forever. Uh, coming out of coronavirus, I want the Cure Kit to be a new way of interacting with people, staying in touch with the, the people who you work with um, and kind of engaging people. And I'd like to see that it becomes a bit recognisable as one of those really cool brands that came out. I, I think you can look at Grey's Box, for example, um, which I remember seeing years ago and thinking what a bonkers idea that was and now I think it's now I think it's excellent because it's it's essentially they do for snacks what we want to do for health and well-being products um, and it's so recognizable and so iconic in in the way they've branded it that's kind of what I want to see for Curacit. And um, it's clear to me talking to you that you seem um, very engaged uh, and happy with what you're doing and I I know you've taken the um, the happy at work test on Workle so um, how did you score, Josh? So I, I think it was I think it was unfairly biased for me, but I scored quite highly. I scored eighty two percent, but that's because I am I am reporting to myself. So I obviously agree with management, and I obviously uh, agree with uh, all the feedback and support that I get from myself. And were there any areas where you thought, having done it all, oh, I can definitely develop in these areas? The, there was there, there was definitely some areas where I felt like the support aspect um, where I should I should kind of reach out to more people for support in certain things where sometimes I kind of sit with it all and I I kind of wade my way through it and then whatever whatever the result of that was that's the end job and I'm thinking and I was kind of as I was doing it, I was thinking you know what Maybe even if they don't directly work with me, there are people who I should be kind of reaching out to for their advice on things, for their comments on things and for their assistance on things. So, I mean, you've had the most remarkable journey. Um, just a, a few last quick questions. If you were advising somebody who's sitting at home today, who's 18, and who um, is a budding entrepreneur, potential entrepreneur, what would be your key piece of advice to them? My key piece of advice would be to go for it. There's absolutely nothing to stop you. There's so much resource out there by which to do it as well. 
and don't be put off if it doesn't work out the first time always always keep your mind open don't say because you've done it once and it didn't work or it wasn't as successful as you hoped it will be because i have to be honest with you it's probably not going to be as successful as you think it's going to be in your head the first time you do it and if it is as successful or more successful than you thought then you've done an amazing job but even if but if it isn't don't be disheartened by it it's all a learning process um and i think it's an, it's an amazing thing to do and i think more people should do it. Great. And um, two last quick questions. Uh, the first is, if you were recommending somebody to take uh, the work or working uh, uh, happiness test, who would, you, who would you get to do it? Who do you think it would help? I think it would personally help a lot of people I know who want to make changes in their life. And I think it would probably highlight to a lot of people that there's... That there's improvements they can do whether it's looking for a change of career or whether it's having that frank word with their employer um, I think there's a lot of people who would come out with a lower score than they would perhaps have expected to and it would be an eye-opener for them that there is that, that they probably aren't as happy as they think they are and, and that they should be one person that you thought it might benefit who would it be uh, I would definitely tell my partner to try it because I think he's undervalued and the last question is, um, what piece of music, when you hear it, makes you feel happiest, Josh? Oh, I'm going to say so. It's a bit cliched, um, but it's by one of my favourite artists called Florence and the Machine. Uh, and it's the, her song Spectrum. Uh, whether you want to listen to the Calvin Harris remix or not, um, I just, I love that song. And I hate how every New Year's they seem to play it at New Year's, the fireworks, because it seems to like remind me of new years every time i listen to it but maybe that's a that's a good and a bad thing but i think it's uh, always puts a smile on your face on that note josh can i thank you very much for taking part in this edition of the work or workplace happiness podcast you are uh, an inspiration to lots of people in the way that you continue to grow the businesses that you've set up we wish you every success with cura kit and thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you, Lord Price. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. For more on this podcast, head to workall.co where you can find out how you can get happier at work. <laughs>